Our passage today comes from Hebrew 8. Hebrews 8. Uh, we've been going through the book of Hebrews uh, for a while now, and the author has been talking a lot about um, Jesus' high priestly role. You know, he's been um, declaring that Jesus is, uh, you know, he is our great high priest, you know, and he talks about this lineage of priesthood that is greater than the, the Levitical priest. And um, earlier on, the author talks about how Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he makes this very, like, he accentuates this point, saying that Jesus sat, right? Jesus sat, and I preached on this uh, a while back, um, and it's because back in the days, like, the Levitical priests, when they're in the temple, there were no chairs, right? There were no chairs in the temple, uh, because priests, it's not that they were not allowed to sit, but there was just no time for them to sit. And it was like God's instruction when he instructed them to build the tabernacle and to build the temple. There were never chairs in the in the area where the priests were because priests never sat. The work of atonement never came to an end. Right? Sacrificing never stopped. It, the work that they did, although they were very hardworking and dedicated priests, you know, at the core of who they were and, and what they were sacrificing, the work was insufficient. Right? It's like using a bucket... I don't know if you guys ever been in one of those rowboats that's sinking, right? Uh, I, I was in a rowboat a long time ago. We went on this church retreat and there was this, this rowboat and then, um, in this like lake and then we were like, oh, and then nobody, it seems like nobody had used it in years and we realized why because there's a hole in it and when you put it out, it just starts to sink. It's like wa- water starts to come in and we got all soaked. But then it's like you have one of these boats and you constantly have a bucket dumping water out. But like it never gets empty because there's always water coming in, right? And so, and that's like the the vision image that you have of the old Levitical system. Hebrews 10 says, "For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin." Right? It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But Jesus is our great high priest, and he and he is said to be from this this priestly line of Melchizedek. I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he is a king and he's a priest. He has the authority and the power of the king of the universe because he is a king, but he is also a priest, uh, unifying his people to God through the sacrifice of his own life, right? And the priests always sacrifice something, right? They have bulls or goats, you know, they're really, you know, in goats and lambs and, you know, even pigeons. They would, you know, sacrifice pigeons, you know, but uh, there were always some kind of sacrifice. A priest, you know, was mainly known for just doing these sacrifices. But Jesus, he brought the ultimate sacrifice. He brought sacrifice of his own life. Um, he is the perfect priest with the perfect sacrifice. And now this week, the author talks about Jesus being the true tent. He, he is in the true tent. Um, he is in the true tabernacle. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in the true tabernacle. Uh, I'm going to read to you guys. The beginning of um, chapter 8 of Hebrews, it says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. He's saying if Jesus was here on earth right now, he would not be a priest because the priests here are, do they make sacrifices according to the, the, offer gifts according to the law? And he says they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, 
For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Right? And so the author is saying that the system that God has Moses build, right, this, this system of priests and temple and sacrifices is a copy, is a shadow of what is actually in heaven, the original that's in heaven. It's a poor replica of the original, right? Um, these days, our kids really love Legos. Right? Do you guys like Legos? Any grown people like I, I I'm starting to... I never played with Legos when I was a kid, but then now that my kids play with them, I'm like really into them too. I like... Ezra can't do his own. Ethan can do his own, but Ezra can't. So I always do Ezra's for him, and I, I enjoy it more than him. But um, you know, we went to the Lego store the other day, and then um, there's a Lego store in Shinsuke. I don't know. It's brand new. It's it's pretty big, and they have all these crazy Legos, and they have these like amazing pieces with like thousands of like little parts, right? They have the Colosseum. They have like the um the who, what's that big ship in Star Wars? The um that flat thing thing Han Solo's ship. Yeah, yeah, Millennium Falcon. Yeah, the Millennium Falcon has like 9,000 pieces. Well, there's this uh, Lego. It's one of the biggest Lego sets, and it's the Titanic, right? And it's at a little under 10,000 pieces, right? Imagine 10,000 of those little pieces that you can sit, step on, and get it. Uh, it's very detailed. It actually has the same number of lifeboats that were on the Titanic, which is not enough. Um, and it's really big. It's like 1.3 meters long. So I don't know, like... So, like Ethan is about 1.2, so it's almost as tall, it's like long as Ethan, right? In length, um, and it looks pretty awesome. You know, when you, I saw a picture of it online, I was like, wow, this like really looks like you know, I put a lot of time and energy into this, but it's still just a replica. It's still just like a copy, a facsimile of the original. And what the author of Hebrews is trying to say is that all of the priests and all of the temples and all of the sacrifices and all of the Levitical system. It's just a replica. It's a copy. It's a facsimile of the original throne room of God in heaven, where uh, you know, like the, the the presence and the place that God truly is seated, is He's is just a pale uh, replica of that. And it says, but as it is Christ, He's saying Jesus has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that sacrifice, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. He's saying Jesus is not about the copy. He's not about the replica, but he is the original. Right? If that replica could do what it was supposed to do, right? He, they wouldn't need, need like you know the original to come, but Jesus comes and he brings the original. And then the author quotes Jeremiah 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, where they did not continue in my covenant, as so I showed no concerns for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful 
towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is is ready to vanish away. Now, the first covenant the author is saying is that it was faulty, right? It was faulty. He's like, if it was not, if it was faultless, there wouldn't be a need for a second one. But he's saying that it was faulty. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been no occasion to look for a second. And the faultiness of the first covenant, the old covenant, has nothing to do with God. You guys have to realize this, right? The first, the old covenant, right? The reason why it was faulty has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with the law, right? God is perfect. His laws are perfect. Right? People on this side of the cross and this side of grace, we like to talk a lot of smack about the law, right? Like grace, you know, it's all about grace, not about the law. But you know what? The law is perfect, right? We think that the law is wrong. The law is not wrong, right? You guys have to realize this. God is, continues to be what God has always been. He's perfect. He's holy. But in our current state, if we approached God, we would just like, we'd be a pink mist. (laughs) Like we just, we just, we wouldn't even see, we would cease to exist within like a nanosecond. We just cannot be in the presence of God. Why? Because we, we can, we cannot live up to that, right? And those laws that causes us to be, who we are and God to be who we, that, that law is perfect, right? And so, so, you know, it's not the law, it's not God that made it faulty, right? The problem with the old covenant, the issue, the faultiness was us. We're the problem, right? It's not the car that's the problem, it's the driver, right? You know, like, you got a brand new Tesla, and the car is perfect, right? There's nothing wrong with it. Right? You see it all banged up on the side of the road. It has nothing to do with the car. It's the driver, right? Like the driver, even though it has autopilot, somehow this knucklehead crashed it in some way and it's all messed up. And that's the way that it is with the Old Covenant. It had nothing to do with the laws of God. It had nothing to do with God. The reason why it was faulty was because of us, right? We're the problem. Right, the original covenant, the original tabernacle, the original system of priests and sacrifice, it was faulty because of us. We, we could not live up. It was based on what we can do, and in God's sight, we can't do anything, right? I've never seen an infant, right? You, like, you know, we had, uh, really, you know, when, like, even, even, uh, Esther right there, she's at an age where she can, like, kind of almost sit up, and, and, you know, like, she can look at you and smile, and then that's, you know, like, that's, th- that's what she brings into the world. And that's perfect, right? Like, when you have a baby, but then when you have a really a tiny infant, they can't do anything, right? They're like, literally, there's nothing that they can do. They can't even, like, like, roll over, you know, like, you know, it's just like, they just, that's all they do, right? And then to, to God, that's like us. When it comes to us, like somehow being able to make ourselves righteous before Him, we're like infants. We're like, ah, there was nothing we can do, and that's that was the faultiness of the old covenant. The old the old system is is that we could not live up. There was nothing that we can do to make ourselves righteous before God. I can sacrifice all the bulls in Spain. You guys, you know the running of the bulls. That's in Spain, right? In Pompalone or whatever. They like hundreds of bulls. I've seen them like get, you know, like people running. We could, I could sacrifice every single one of those bulls, right? Like lay them all out, you know, cut them open and ask the Lord to forgive me, right? Make myself righteous. There's still, I, that does not atone for my sin. There's nothing that I can do 
to make myself righteous before God. Because I am faulty. It's the sin that is in me, the original sin in me, causes me to not be able to live up to the system. And so the old covenant and the old system was inferior and faulty because of us. Because man, in our imperfection and in our unrighteousness and, and in our sinfulness, we cannot live up. But the story doesn't end there. Thank God. Because Jesus came. And when He came, He came with a plan. And that plan was the new covenant. Right? We live under the new covenant. And He would establish this covenant with his people. And the Bible said it's a better covenant. Right? It's a better covenant because it is not about us. Right? We've been removed from the equation. It's all about Jesus. Because the promise is based on not what we can do, right? what we can do, but it's based on what God can do, what Jesus can do. It's not based on what we sacrifice or how righteous we are or how holy we are, how clean we are, right? But it's solely based on Jesus and the perfect life that he lived. And in his priestly role, he brought the perfect sacrifice himself to the altar of God. And and in this covenant, this is a new covenant, right? It's not based on our righteousness. It's all based on Jesus. And then all we have to do to access this covenant is what? To, 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 to receive it through faith, right? Just believe. Just put your trust in Jesus. To just trust Him. That's all, that's all, like, like, it's like a, a test. You know, like, you know, I, you know, I had this really hard test, like, last semester. I remember I, pr- I practiced, I studied forever, right? And like, I was like, and I was ready and I was like so nervous, right? And imagine somebody emails me like, you know, like an, an hour before the test, it's like, these are all the answers. Right? And all you have to do is just fill it out, right? This is all you have to do, right? Just, just write it out, right? And that's basically what Jesus said. All you have to do is just believe, right? Just put your faith in me. Imagine if you have a, 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 a ton of student debt. Who, who has a lot of, anybody has a lot of student debt? Some of you guys might not want to. Like, I know, I know people that have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt because they went to like NYU and got a degree in like fine arts and is like teaching like, you know, junior high, making like, you know, like $30,000 and they're like, oh, right, this is a, this is a, a bad investment, right? It's like they just, you know, and so like they have all these student debt and they have like hundreds of thousand dollars in student debt. And imagine like Molly has all this debt, right? She has a hundred thousand dollars. She doesn't, right? You know? But imagine she has a hundred thousand dollars in student debt and she's been trying to pay it off every year and just like, it's just not working. It's just too hard, right? And then, and then I go up to her one day and said, Hey, I paid off your student debt, Molly. Right? I just paid off all your debt, right? And all you have to do, you don't have to fill out any forms. You don't have to pay me back. You don't have to like, you know, you don't have to pay me interest or anything. Like, all you have to do is just believe that I did. Just, just, just believe. That's all you have to do. Just like receive it. Right? You, you receive it by what? Just believing it, right? And, and that's the new covenant. That's the foundation of this promise. It's, it's like almost scandalous. It's like, it's mind blowing, but that's amazing how grace works. It's faith in Jesus Christ because He did everything. He paid the debt. He paid the punishment for our sins, our iniquities. We just have to believe and trust and put our faith in Him. And that is why the new covenant is better than the old covenant because at the center of this problem, uh, this promise is Jesus. It, it, and you, we just enter it 
you know, through faith, has, we've been removed from this equation, right? It's not about like, you know, Caleb plus works equals like almost living up to God's standard, but never really fully. You know, that, that's in that equation. Like Jesus took us out. He took out Caleb and put in Jesus. And it's like Jesus plus his works equals like eternal, like, you know, salvation and, and being right before the Lord, right? like being completely cleansed. Our debts being completely paid off. That's the new covenant. That's the promises that, that this is all like like based on verse 6 but as it is Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises what are those better promises it's just it's this faith salvation through faith we put our faith in him and that's so that's not, that's my first point is that the new covenant is better because it is founded on Jesus fulfilling the promises, not on us striving and working to live up to a promise. It's, it's, it's enacted on better promises. And so I want to ask you today, what are these promises? Right? It's who Jesus is, what he did, and who he, we are in him. It's, it's, that's the truth. It's who he is, who, who he says he is, and it's what he says he has done, and it's who we are because of he has done what he says he's done. Right? I know that's a lot of confusing, but it's it's about who he says he is. Yeah, he is the Son of God, and it's about what he says he's done. Yeah, he's died. He he became the sacrifice for us to have this eternal life, and and, and it's who we are in him. Is that in Jesus Christ we are sons of God? We have a relationship with God. We have been made. One, you know, we, we, we have been brought into this relationship and this new covenant, this new promise where God says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you, never, never forsake you. Nothing in this world, nothing in heaven, on earth, you know, in the past or in the future or in hell and in heaven, nothing, you know, like, like nothing can separate you from my love. That's what the Bible tells us, right? Nothing can separate us from our, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's that's the new promise. That's the new covenant. The old covenant was, I am God, I am holy, I am perfect, and you must follow my laws, live up to my laws, but I know you won't. You know, but I am faithful and I will walk with you and I will be with you. But I will I know that you will not be able to live up to my standards. But he says, One day I will send my son. I will send one from the from the line of David, and he will give you a, a new promise, a new covenant, and everything will be based on what he does and on his righteousness and his goodness. And though faith and through faith in him, all people will know me—not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. How many ethnicities are here? Korean, Guatemalan, South African, American, Canadian, Russian, right? All of us, we know Jesus. Why? Because of what He has done. And so that's my first point. The new covenant is better. It's, it's, the promise is better because it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus. And we just have to put our trust in Him. It's, it's, it's getting a test with all the answers in it, right? And then the Bible tells us, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
and they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. With the new covenant, Jesus says that he will put his laws into our minds and write them on our hearts. Right? And it, it, isn't that what happens when we have faith? Right? When we put our trust in God, when we truly start trusting in the Lord and we put our faith in Him, the Holy Spirit starts to dwell in us and we are, and as we slowly but surely are sanctified, we're made into the image of Jesus Christ. We become more like Jesus. His ways becomes our ways. Romans 8, 29 through 30 tells us, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that the, He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So He predestines us to become more like Jesus, right? As we put our faith in Him, what happens is God comes into our hearts and the Holy Spirit and He starts to transfer, He starts to write His laws upon our hearts and then we become more like Jesus. Second Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. And so this, so this new covenant isn't about the law and us falling short of the law. But it's about Jesus fulfilling the law for us. And as we put our faith in Him, He does the work of transforming our lives from the inside out and we become more like Him. It's this transformation that happens. And He writes His laws on our hearts and in our minds. And I want to ask you the question, what are these laws? And I want to focus on this a little more. What are these laws? What are His commandments? And some will answer, well, it's the Bible. And yes, it's the Bible. But practically speaking, you know, I'm a very practical guy. What are the specific commands that Jesus gives us as He establishes His covenant upon us? What are the commandments of the new covenant? Meaning, as the truth of the new covenant becomes a reality in us, how do we change? Right? What are the things, what are the categories, and what are the ways that we change? As we... Grow in the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Holy Spirit comes in us and we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We grow in like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As we grow in these things, how do we live our lives differently? Right? What are these commandments? Jesus says, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. What are these commandments that he's talking about? And I have three for you guys today. And I'm not saying that these are the only commandments that Jesus gave us. But these are the foundational commandments and these are the prerequisite commandments that Jesus establishes over His people of the New Covenant. Right? And so I'm going to give you guys three things and these are the things where if we are truly walking in this, all of the other things in our lives, like all of the little, like the nitty gritty things of our lives where God wants us to do, we, we slowly start to walk in those as we follow in these commandments. Right? The, number one is the Great Commandment. If you guys are taking notes, it's Matthew 22, 37-40. It's also in Luke. It's also in Mark. It's called the Great Commandment because it is the greatest commandment. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Right? Do you want to know the fruit of repentance and faith in your life? It's your love and devotion to God. 
there's no way around it, right? If you want to see, if you want to see the first fruit, if I look at like somebody in the church and I want to see the the true fruit of God doing something in their life, it's gonna it's gonna be the the manifestation of their love and their devotion to God. Meaning, as we become people of the new covenant and the Spirit of God dwells in us, He will write this in our hearts and in our minds. If the Spirit of God truly dwells in us. We will grow first and foremost in our devotion and our love for the Lord. To learn to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, I want to ask you, is this, is this love growing in you today? And he says the second commandment is like it. Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. He's like, these two commandments, all of the law... All right, the first five books of the Old Testament and all of the prophets, which is like, you know, like almost 90%, like combine those is about like 90% of, of the Old Testament. You take all of that, right? It, it, it all boils down to these things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And he's saying this to a bunch of, he's answering the question of a Pharisee that came and that tried to test him, right? And these Pharisees that totally missed the mark when it comes to God telling them what to do, right? You know, like, it's like, it's like the kids and, and toys, right? Like, and I, I talk a lot about my kids because these days I'm a, I'm almost a stay at home dad. I do my work from home. I'm like a, my office is, is my office in the home. So I see my kids more than Mina sometimes, right? And so like a lot of my examples will be my kids because that's basically who I see all the time. And if I see you, if I meet up with you and I talk too much, is because you're probably the, the the most adult conversation that I've had in a long time, right? And so, like me and I came and Molly came here today, and I was just like talking to her year off, blah, 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 about school, and I was like, dude, it's because I haven't had adult conversation in so long, right? But but it's like our kids, like when I like what happened to the Pharisees, right? God tells them, like these are my laws, I want you to find, and then you know what they did is like they turned it all upside down. My kids, I'll tell my kids, there's a big mess, and I'm like, kids. I want you guys to clean up this mess, right? Clean up this mess, right? Make, put all your toys away. Clean up all your food and all your, you know, the, the, the things that are all over the, the floor. Clean it all up, right? And after that, like, we'll go, we'll go do something, right? And I'll go and I'll go to my office. I'll do some work. An hour later, I'll come back and they have done none of that. But what they did is they'll take all of their toys, line them up by size, right? And then they're like, what I asked for, right? I did not ask you to line up your toys. I told you to put them away. It's like, oh, look at, I lined them up all by size, right? This is the biggest here and the smallest here. Look how cool it looks, right? That's what happened to the Pharisees, right? God gave them the law to teach them to love God and to love people. And what they do is they learn to love themselves and judge people. They learn to glorify themselves and look down on people. Remember, the law was perfect, right? The law is perfect. It was who that, it was, it was us. It was man that was the problem. It was the people that were trying to carry it out that was the problem. They took the law, they misconstrued it, and defiled it to the point where they looked nothing like God. Like, like God's people, right? They looked nothing like God's people. But Jesus said he came as, and, and as he establishes the new covenant, he has a better covenant. Because it's, it's him that's doing it. He says, people of this covenant will love God and love people because I will write it upon their hearts. It's, it's because it's not going to be them 
trying to do all this thing and through day, what, what I'll do is I'm going to go and live in them. I'm going to dwell in them through the power of the Holy Spirit and then I will write it upon their hearts. To have love and devotion for God that is above all else and to love people, their neighbors, their co-workers, their employees, their bosses, their acquaintances, their friends. To be, to be people of love because Jesus is love, right? So the people of the new covenant, Jesus commands, the number one commandment is the great commandment. He's saying love God first and foremost. Learn to love and, and have a relationship with Him where you truly love Him with everything that is within you. You learn to love Him and then you learn to love people. You learn to love the people that God places in your life. And then the second commandment that God gives us is called the new commandment. And Jesus, before He went to the cross, he gathers his disciples and he washes their feet. Right? He serves them by doing one of the lowliest things that someone can do. Right? Now, feet were dirty back then. Right? Feet were dirty. like it's like Ezra. And I talk about kids again. <laughs> All I see is my kids. Right? right? It's like Ezra has the stinkiest feet because right? he wears Crocs with no socks. Right? I don't know if you ever tried this, but wearing Crocs with no socks, right, is a recipe for stinky feet, right? So Ezra is like, he'll get in our car, and we have a pretty big car of minivan, and so like there's a lot of room in there, but once he takes off his shoes, his Crocs, the whole thing smells like rotten vinegar, right? I don't know why kids' stinky feet smells like vinegar, but it just smells bad, right? So it's like that, and then, but imagine that, plus like dirt, and like animal feces back then, Right? They, they just had sandals, right? And there was dirt, there was no concrete, it was all dirt. There was like the, like animals would like, you know, they were farming agricultural, and so there's like, you know, people would step on, you know, like, you know, poo and all this stuff, and then their feet would, would get super nasty, and they didn't have socks. I've never seen a picture of Jesus wearing socks, right? Have you ever seen a disciple wearing socks? No, they were all barefoot with sandals, and so washing their feet was like, like, like a point of humiliation, right? You, you, it was like this lowly thing that people did. It, it, washing someone's feet was a sign of being, like, it's like a sign of being low and being you know, humble and, and humiliated. And then Jesus washes their feet. And he tells them that this is an example of what you guys are to do with one another. Serve one another. Love one another. And then Jesus gives them the new commandment. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When Jesus says one another, he's not talking about humanity in general. He's talking about a very specific group of people. He's not talking about your like acquaintances. He's not talking about the, you know, the stranger on the street. This commandment is about us loving one another in the body of Christ. Fellow disciples. This, this community right here. Or, you know, in the future, whatever communities that you go into, that's the body of Christ. And this is the serving the body. We are to love one another. And he says that the world will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. And this is another of the laws that Jesus writes on the heart of his people, as people of the new covenant. That as a body of Christ, that we have genuine love for one another. For us to be walking and serving and loving each other in the body of Christ. And we are to love the world. We are to love our even our enemies. How are we going to do that if we can't even love one another? 
And so Jesus gives us his commandment. He's saying, my people, the people of my new covenant, you will love one another. You will learn to serve one another. As, as I humble myself and I wash your stanky feet, right? This is what, this is the type of heart that you ought to have to one another. You're supposed to serve one another. Humble yourself, you know, with one another and, 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 you know, like consider them higher. Consider each other higher than you, like love and, and sacrifice for each other. Humble yourself. And Jesus says the world is watching. So people will know that you are my disciples by how you treat one another. Love and serve and humble yourselves with one another. And so this is another of the laws that Jesus writes upon our hearts, people of new covenant. As we start to really be transformed by the, by the, by the, by the power of God, you know, He does it, not individually, you know that? God didn't save you for you to be an individual Christian. He saved you for the body of Christ, for you to be in a community of believers. There is no way around that. I used to, when I was in college, I used to know these people where they were like, hey, like, I used to go to a Christian university, Viola, and you have to be a Christian to be there. And I would ask people, hey, what church do you go to? And he'd be like, oh, you know what? I don't go to church, man. You know, my church is Bedside Baptist. I worship the Lord, right? <laughs> like, you're a hardcore Christian. Like, it's all about me and God. And I'd be like, oh, really? I don't think that's what the Bible says, right? The Bible says that he brings us into a community of God where he, we are to love one another so into one another so that the world can see us as we love one another they will know that we are disciples of God we are disciples of Jesus and so this is the law this is another law that God writes in our hearts as a people of the new covenant love one another loving one another will not save us right this is not the law right it's not going to save us but if we truly are saved by Christ and as his Holy Spirit does his work in us we will learn to love one another. We will learn to submit and commit ourselves into a body of believers, to the body of Christ. And we will know, and we will learn to love one another. And I want to know, I want to point something out. And you notice that the laws of Jesus at the foundation is love, right? First uh, John um, 4, 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God who does not know Love does not know God because God is love. So it's basically saying that if we love, right, we love because we know God. If you don't love, you don't love because you don't know God. Because at the foundation of what God does in us is He, 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 He grows in us love. Because He is love. He, at the, at the center of, of, of what God does in our lives is for us to love and, and to grow in love. And so the love is a foundational principle of his commandment. So the first one is the great commandment, love God, love people. Second one, new commandment, love one another. Right? Love each other in the body of Christ. That means we commit ourselves into the body of Christ. We value each other. We, we, we sow in and, and, and we, we, we get our identity from the body of Christ. And the third and the last point is the great commission. Jesus says in Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. The people of the new covenant are kingdom-minded. Right? 
as God dwells in us and as God starts to do His things, as the power of God brings transformation into our lives, we grow in our unction and our boldness to join God in His work of raising up disciples. Fulfilling the Great Commission. As we are slowly but surely transformed into the image of Christ, our hearts will be also changed in the process and we start to hate what Jesus hates and love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves it when people are saved and He hates it when people go to hell. All of heaven rejoices when one person comes to the Lord. Luke 15, 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You guys, this is the family business, right? Anybody, you guys have like a family business, right? Those are people that like, come from a long line of butchers, just, you know, cutting up meat is their family business. Well, this is the family business of the family of God. We are in the, in the business of saving people. And this is, this is a foundational commandment that God places upon the people of God for us to be, love God, love the world, love people, love one another, and then take that love and go out and start to raise up disciples. This is the family business. And when you come into the family of God, you are also in this business. There's no like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna be a lawyer. You know, like, I'm just gonna go be like, sorry, I know this is a family business. I just wanna be a part of the family without really doing what the family is doing. I wanna go out and, you know, I wanna be an actor, you know? No! Is you, if you, in the family of God, you are in the family business. Ephesians 4 tells us, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. My role as a pastor, is to equip you guys, the saints, for the work of the ministry. Ministry is, this is not the only ministry that can happen in our community. If it wasn't, we, we would be, we will be failing, right? And I believe that this is what's happening around the world in churches, is that they, uh, so many people expect the ministry to only happen through the pastor, or through the, through the evangelist, or through the teacher, but you know what? We are to equip you guys for the work of the ministry. Kingdom is about multiplication. Remember the fish and bread? Jesus says, He takes the bread and He didn't just make two. He said, well, here's a fish. I want to make one more and I want to give it to you. No, what did He do? He multiplied it, right? Where He took some fish and some bread and He fed thousands of people and at the end there were like buckets upon baskets upon baskets of leftover food, right? That's the multiplication that could only happen when you guys take what what the Spirit of God is depositing in you, in this community, you take it within you, and then you go out into the world, and you impact the world for Jesus Christ. That's the heart of Christ. Jesus says that the people of His new covenant will have His heart for the world. This is the last thing that He tells His disciples before He goes away. He's like, hey, take what I gave you, and then go out into the world and make more disciples. And a lot of Christians have this understanding that we're to have nothing to do with the world. That's not true. We are to have God's heart for the world and God doesn't want to destroy the world. He doesn't want to reject and judge the world. He doesn't turn his nose up at the world and say, like, oh, I can't believe they're all just like, you know, like living like this. No. What does the Bible says about God and the world? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? 
We sing about it all the time. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. He still loves the world. He looks down from, from heaven and he's saying, I love the world. I, you know, like, like, I want my people to go out into the world and do what they have been destined to do. It's to love and save the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the number one most memorized verse in the Bible in all of the world. More non-Christians have that memorized, right? Than, than any other thing, I believe. That, that you know, like, everybody has this memorized, but it, what is important, what it says in here is that God does not re- want to reject the world. He doesn't want to like condemn the world. He loves the world. And He wants His people to love the world. Yeah, we're not supposed to be changed by the world. We don't like let the world influence us and make us all like greedy and like, you know, like all lustful and going after like, you know, like, like dollar dollar bills, y'all. And like, you know, like try to, you know, that's, that's not what we let the world do to us. But we are to love the world, the people and go and try to save the world and transform the world. And the people of the new covenant, Jesus says, well, well, he'll write this and upon their hearts and in their minds. As, as, as God's spirit and God's presence continues to grow in you, He's gonna give you an unction for you to go and impact people's lives. And that's what discipleship is. And so why am I saying all this, right? And I'll end with this. Is, you know, we're, we're, we're planning to enter into a season of discipleship and membership. And my desire for our church and for all of you is for us to be a covenant community. I want our community to be a covenant community where people can trust each other, you know, be connected. And I want us to grow. And I want to help you guys to grow and mature and and be people that stand on the Word of God as people of the new covenant. I want you, I want you guys to love in your, in your affection for God. I want you guys to love God and learn to love God and to, and to, to, you know, put Him first and to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. For all of you guys to serve one another, serve the body of Christ and love one another. And for all of you guys to take your place and and be people that are fulfilling the Great Commission out in the world. And some people think, oh, the Great Commission is just for those missionaries. No, it's for you. It's for the people in your workplace. It's for people, the friends that you have, the family members that you have. And this is the heart of discipleship. It's for us to be people that ultimately raise up more disciples, right? And that's how we're going to have multiplication in the body of Christ. And that's my desire for you guys. I don't want you guys to come to church every week and just stay the same year by year. My prayer for you is for you guys to, to be people of the new covenant of Jesus, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love one another, and to love the world that you seek at the loss, and you see the harvest, and you get excited, and you're like, hey, this is the opportunity for God to manifest His presence in me and go out and reach the lost and the unchurched. And so I'll end this sermon once again with a practical application, right? And, and, and this practical application is very practical, right? I want to really encourage all of you guys to go find that email. And, and, and when we, when small groups or when discipleship starts, I want, really would recommend you guys to make a commitment into these small groups. Because at the, at the heart of it, it's not so that we can burn away your time or we can just get you to do mindless work. At the heart of, the core of it is for, is our heart for you guys to grow in these, in these 
in following and, and, and living the commandments that God has placed in your life to love God, to love people, to love one another, and to love the world. To go out into the world and make an impact for Jesus Christ. And this is my heart for you guys. So we're going we're gonna to close in prayer. So let's all stand up. And as we close in prayer, I want us to make a self, self-assessment, right? In this. And I always love, like, you know, when people would challenge me in this way and I usually make a self-assessment, I always feel like, you know, a little crappy because I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, live up to these things, you know, like I don't love God that much and, you know, I, I'm really annoyed by the person next to me, you know, like I, yeah. But then I, I want you guys, I don't have, I don't say this to discourage you, but I say this to encourage you. I want you guys to make, do a self-assessment. I want to give you guys a moment to just kind of pray. But then I, I want you guys to, to get into this place where you, you get excited to grow in these areas of your life. Say, God, I want to love you more. God, I, I want to have a heart for people. Help me to, to have a heart for people where I just like break away all of this numbness and this like apathy from my heart. And help me to genuinely love and care and go out and reach the people that you place in my life for us to really love the body of Christ. To serve one another and to humble one another, humble ourselves and, and to really be people that raise disciples here. That's my heart for you guys. And so as we pray, I want to take a moment and I want you guys to ask the Lord you know, and, and pray for yourselves to grow in these areas. Ask Him, Lord, help, help me to grow. Let's pray for a minute and I'll close this.